How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. This is your host, Ryan Stanley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Matthew Tillman. Matthew is the visionary CEO and co-founder of Open Envoy, which is leveraging AI to automate accounting. You're one of the few people I know that have, have been in machine learning for 20 years, right? It's about 20 years now. And so, like, how did that take place? And then we'd just love to hear your perspective with the explosion of AI this year and where you think it's heading. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, my it was funny. I didn't uh, mean to get into it. So I basically ran data and architecture for a small French brokerage firm in Chicago that became quite large, reverse merged back into its parent company. And it did that because... At the time, the exchanges were going completely online with their data. So the tick data, which is what it's called, became available in real time to programmers at these brokerage firms. And mm-hmm. it was really smart. Um, DDA Varley was CEO of the time at Car Futures, and Rick Farina was coming in as well, the head of sales at the time. And what they looked at is they just said, there's an entirely new category of companies being made. All they do is algo trading. How can we enable, as a prime broker, enable these guys with the data they need to make decisions in real-time data and systems? And so we started building data for these companies and systems, and they were building and training models. We started training models in-house in our our uh, alternative assets team, started training model. uh, I think it was run by Bernie Wienler at the time there in Chicago. Really, really smart people who just saw the market coming to them. They said, now we have real-time data. Our engineering teams need to be deployed on solving real-time allocations, real-time execution for companies like Citadel, Crable, Aspen, Virginia, RG. Oh, yeah. These guys, a lot of them are still market makers, still going. So they just saw it. And I ended up in it because I was a software engineer at the bank running allocations. And so um, it was a wonderful experience to be sort of pulled in that market. We didn't really call it machine learning at the time. We just called it algo trading. Um, it was certainly a, a math category of, you know, linear algebra. Um, and then sort of ad tech companies glommed onto that and wanted to do the same thing. So I spent some time in ad tech because they were basically as a product manager, actually in ad tech where they were taking data, generating ads from that data, you know, that sort of thing and had a good run up there. One of my companies set TV was a phenomenally brilliant team over at set on the research side. They figured out a way to watch videos and to label the content of videos in real time. And we were watching something like 65 million videos a month, figuring out what was in them. Like if it was, you know, Oprah or whatever inside the video, I forget at the time, there was like a bunch of tests that we just ran, but we were generating a lot of label data. And it was really exciting because it was computer vision based, which is oh, nice. really difficult, right? Which is what we do at Open Envoy. We use computer vision. We don't use like LLMs don't make as much sense for, for the immediate finance space, right? Uh, they make some sense in disputes and translations and things like that, but they're really more for, um, for language, right, for, for communications. Um, and so I've, I've had this background of seeing really complex math. And the truth is, it's just cheap to run now. It's just a mm-hmm. lot cheaper to train. Like compute costs are pretty low relative to what they were back in the bank, right? We were all CPU based at the bank. And startups couldn't afford the, that number of processors to make those decisions, right? We were spending a lot of money on KX and Vayu and all these real-time data systems. Whereas now for free, you can go to like hugging face and get a model 
with weights and start to train that model. The math is totally commoditized and free. I'm an investor in stability, right? And when you look at these types of companies, you have now open source tools on your laptop supported by Apple to do things like image generation. And that was not possible 20 years ago. Like you could have done that. Now it's just sort of democratized and it's mostly free in reality. Like the open source models actually beat a lot of the closed source models. Um, probably because, you know, more work, more efficiency takes place for free and everybody benefits, which is why open source is so valuable. Um, so in terms of just being able to witness it, it has been a really phenomenal part of my experience is to be able to be around it all the time and sort of see those advancements has been really fascinating. Oh, yeah. And you said, I mean, on top of it up, you said you're an investor in stability. Yeah. Like Stable Diffusion, that, that organization. Yeah. Can you, how, so how did that take place, man? Like, I, I love... Uh, you know, what I've seen from Ahmad on, yeah. online, Ahmad's the CEO, and um, you know, he's very, very committed in terms of his conviction of like what's potential and what what's the potential of it and what could happen. So, like, how did that take place? And it's like, how did it all kind of shake out, man? Yeah, so I mean, that's just friend of a friend sort of references referral is the way that I got involved, and I didn't really. I mean, I'm a small, super small check right into that sort of thing, and. Uh, but the thing that's interesting about that business is they're basically taking on the red hat model of, listen, this is going to become commoditized. In reality, it's just linear algebra anyways. It's not like it's not, I mean, math is free. It's like, you can't really regulate math. And so, so the, the, the attitude was, listen, if we open it up and give it to everybody, then you sort of get self-regulation you get the benefits of lots of people adding to the code base and sort of pointing out errors and, and pointing out opportunities for optimization. So I love the open source commitment. I love the open source attitude. We look at, and if you look at open source, look at the impact that Red Hat has on IBM's business today. It's pretty significant. And so I think that is a very real model. And I like the model better than the classic closed source model because think about how many how much more developer resources you have to throw at the problem in order to get the value that's equivalent to a crowd looking at looking at you know your math right at the end of the day your math yeah um, your models and weights and so yeah i just i really like their take on it i also don't think like there's this been this big argument of ai art and things like that as you know i went to school for painting i literally went to school for art and so when i look at this market, I'm thinking, well, it's not, it's, it's design. It's like a production, it's visuals, right? It's, so you're producing visuals. You're not producing anything with like feeling or substance. Like, you know, it's a tool or a technique to present some sort of visual communication. So I'm not a big believer that it replaces art or does anything to artists. I think it's just additive. It's interesting. It's, um, it's really important from a cost perspective. And, and here's the overall on, on stability in a lot of these companies. Companies that produce a lot of design and artwork, like entertainment companies, as an example, they don't treat their artists like artists. They treat them like robots. So if you go to like South Korea and see what animation looks like on your local Fox animation program, whatever it is, whether it be, you know, uh, Simpsons or whatever, like that stuff done mostly in South Korea and they are not treated well, right? Mm. They are just churn and burn 20 hours a day, just absolutely the worst sort of environments for, for work. And that's what creates cartoons. 
So instead of treating like humans like robots, I'm a big fan of like, hey, if this human is being treated like a robot, let's like find them some value add work to do, which is like directing actual machines to do this instead of treating people poorly and just saying grind out this like hand cell shaded animation, right? So I like that about stability. I like that about AI generally is it sort of cuts the robot work out of what humans are doing. So we can like, you know, go make poetry or something interesting, like literally do anything else with your time, take a walk in the woods. And it's more accretive to the human experience than grinding out another cell for an animator. Doug Dennerline. Doug is the CEO and executive chairman of BetterWorks. So Doug has an amazing history that touches a lot of different areas. So I'm really excited to have him on the show. He's been in Silicon Valley since 82, starting with HP, uh, was also a senior vice president at 3Crown, then at Cisco, where he took the sales group from 400 to 6,000 people, also then became the CEO of WebEx, where Eric Yawn, who is the founder of Zoom, used to work for him as a CTO. On top of it, too, is we're not stopping there. Uh, grew a company from zero to 100 million, sold to a PE firm, and now is doing it all over again with BetterWorks uh, in terms of reinventing the way people are managed. So you're a frontline leader, yeah, manager. Yeah. What's the best way to execute, you know, from what you've seen with all the clients you've worked with, all the teams you've led, you know, yeah. what do you think, what's your recommendation there for leading people? Well, Ryan, where, where the world of HR, where I'm taking the world of HR is going to help people, you know, because managers are the least invested person in the company. You know, it's like, hey, you did really well. Now you're a manager and good luck. You know, you're, here's your, it's learn on the job. And mm-hmm. they, and many of them never make the transformation of being an individual contributor to being the skills of a manager to grow somebody in that role. And, and again, it's also an event. You know, you do it at the end of the year. You know, what you need to do is be talking to people all, all the time around how they, what they're good at, what they can get better at, who, who they are, where do they want to go, having open, honest conversations and being transparent with them about where they're at. And that's a difficult thing for people. But you know what? With I, I know you're a huge chat GPT fan or AI fan, ILMs. That's going to change the world of HR, too, because now we're going to be able to have, you know, a co-pilot for a manager saying, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I'm, hey, I'm getting ready to have a tough conversation with this individual and they don't look well with others. You know, hey, Mr. You know, AI bot in my product, how do I have that conversation? And it'll it'll instantly put out, here's the 10 steps to take to have a difficult conversation effectively, you know, and and eliminating people's need to write reviews. AI will write the review. Mm-hmm. You just you'll just make sure that it, it reflects re, you know accuracy and reality. And so we're busily you know day and night looking at AI through not just in the product but in every function in the organization. It's changed marketing. It's changed you know anything that's repetitive. You know support. And so I'm all over it as a CEO, and we're spending a lot of time reinventing ourselves so that this process becomes something that really helps people. It'll really give you feedback that is meaningful for you. It'll actually be something that changes your performance. It'll remove bias from the HR process, which our HR processes are filled with bias today. Mm-hmm. So I'm super excited about that. I, I didn't mean to take you down that rat hole, but I think no, it's, it's okay. going to really be a game changer. As you can tell by my profile, I love talking about AI. I've been fascinated with it. You know, you know, it was something interesting, yeah. like as long as we're talking on the HR topic with with AI, um, one of the things that that I looked at was like, OK, like I, I told the I told ChatGPT to basically act like Gary Tan 
who's a CEO of Y Combinator, right? And I'm like, okay, back into yeah. like I had him say like, okay, what are all the go-to-market strategies that are optimal based on the best success patterns that people have had, right? Rank them from most successful to least successful. And which was really good. It gave me like, I think, I think it said eight or nine core patterns. And then I'm like, okay, tell me what's the ideal founder for each type of go-to-market strategy and list their ideal backgrounds, traits, like communication oh, profile. Wow. And it did a pretty good job from what I saw. So that was something that I thought was like super unique. You just had to give it the right context and put it through the right lens. If that makes sense. You do. It's all, it's all about how developing the, the right way to ask the questions. Yeah. So what's the single best strategy that that you've seen used or you've used personally to grow a business? Um, well, I'm a big believer, uh, Ryan, that the the team, the company with the best team has the highest chance of winning. Mm-hmm. And I, I have seen organizations keep mediocre people in roles way longer than they should. And, you know, um, I, I think even John Chambers always had a saying that, you know, I, I I never move somebody out too quickly. You know, it, it, we, we keep, we keep we, to me, you can only move someone so far down the path to becoming an, you know, I, I don't love the term, but an A player. So go hire people that get the job done for you. Uh, you know, uh, wrap your arms around them, let them know how much they're appreciated, get them on a career path that matters. And so building the right team to me matters a lot. And, uh, and I'm the kind of leader where I, it's a, it, I have a very low ego environment in my company, and I don't believe in lines, and I don't like people that believe, believe in lines. And I tell everybody I hire, if I find out you're passive aggressive the day after I hire you, I will fire you the next day. I don't, I don't have any patience for it. I want people, I want smart, hardworking people that have an opinion that come to the company and challenge it every day and have fun doing it. No, yeah. that's great advice. What about the? Let's flip it the other side. Like, what would you say now, growing the company where you're at, you know, 20 million plus, what would you say is your your single biggest challenge in growing the business right now that you're running into? Well, you know, I, I wish the world would quit throwing curveballs at us. You know, <laughs> COVID was not a great thing for, for the HR business. HR business leaders have been very busy with, you know, with caring about employees during that time and now switching it to, you know, uh, a, a, you know, a slow economy uh, and people worried about recession, you know. And so uh, I would just like a little tailwind would be fun. <laughs> but I, I still many companies are realizing that they need to change the experience their employees have with their products mm-hmm. internally and are doing something about employee experience. And we're still seeing a, a, a lot of demand for companies that know that the old ways are not going to get them where they need to be. So it sounds like managing the rate of of innovation, acceleration, and change <laughs> to summarize it super simply. Well, and I think the other one is AI is going to change everything. Yep. And, and, and I think people need to get their head around that. Yeah, so true. Hello, 
this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter. Check out other free content resources I have there. And let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. I have Juwao Santos right now. He is smack in the middle of a 30-day social experiment in which he made ChatGPT the CEO, co-founder, and creator of a company called Aesthetic Apparel, which he supports for an hour a day, started with only 1K in capital, has hit $20,000 mark after, what, day 25, 26? Has had numerous investor offers. And he's even gotten the attention of some of the world's brightest marketers from the likes of Dollar Shave Club and Deathwater. When you first started, are you like, all right, Days one through seven, I'm going to focus on this, eight through 14, this, so on and so forth. Did you have kind of a raw idea of that or an outline? So on purpose, I did not want to start centralizing the strategy for the business in my head because the whole concept of what we're doing is to see how ChatGPT would build something, right? So I'm trying to minimize my own influence in the business. And something really interesting was because so many people started sending messages with their own proposals for things I should do, I actually started recording all of these. Mm -hmm. And then I basically look at it like as a menu and I choose what I think are good quality proposals to run through the boss. Like I call myself the EA to the CEO because I'm just like doing some admin and then like the CEO, ChatGPT is actually making like the most important decisions, like what should be the retail price for t-shirts and hoodies? What colors should we have them in? Where should the logo be? What should the designs be? Um, so I'm just an EA executing what the boss says we should do. And then ideally, even at scale, we can allow people to shape what this company becomes just by taking in the proposals that come to us through inbound and running them through GPT. And so as this thing gets like more and more serious and it turns into a real business, like, of course, I need to be responsible with investor capital and do my best to grow the company. But I think actually the best way to grow the company is to keep the story as interesting as possible so everyone stays hooked and continues to share it with everyone else. Yeah. And so I, I try to not over-strategize and, and make it my own. So it surprises me that you had the ability just to kind of let go and just, hey, we're going to see where this goes. I guess you looked at it as a 30-day experiment. So what's going to happen next, man? How, how long are you going to take this? Uh, what's the plan in terms of continuing past the 30 days? Walk us through what you're thinking or yeah. what your boss is thinking, I should say. Maybe we do it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think looking at very pragmatically, you know, we have a fresh new LLC. It's getting investor money. It is our responsibility to try to maximize returns. So, like, if we really do this, which we are really doing, I can't just, you know, the day number 30 is this Sunday. I can't just be like, well, guys, I'm out. <laughs> it out. was 30 days. We're done. No. So we're actually going to build this. And um, I think when we see folks picking up this story everywhere, and, you know, this has been like 
top news story in Denmark on the Danish Financial Times. You know, I've had a, a previous girlfriend from Poland like send me a link and like, why are you on one of our biggest media portals here? Um, so when we see this level of, of interest in the story, um, I think we will do our best to continue to write this journey out. Um, I think, I, you know, when you think about uh, um, how kind of a lot of big household brands that today we take for granted were built back in the day, like a lot of those founders were just trying to do something they were passionate about or like they didn't want to have a corporate job. So they were trying to do their own thing. And then it just became this icon, right? So I have no idea and I don't really have like a clear intention to like become a fashion tycoon. Um, it's really not in my personal preference. Um, but, you know, the story is pretty crazy. And I actually had this thought this weekend flying into New York, like, we're probably the craziest fashion label of 2023. Like, I'm very curious to see, you know, we're starting influencer marketing in a couple of weeks um, because so many content creators are already organically sharing our story. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's probably going to do quite well. and. As we get the attention of people like Mike from Dollar Shave Club and others, um, it does raise the question, you know, this is a really cool story. Can we actually leverage it and turn this into a really big company? Um, we'll find out. I'm trying to stay uh, true to the roots of the project and just like minimize my influence and, and see what the boss says about it. So let's let's go outside your business. Pretend like you're not an employee anymore, right? Let's just, you know, I'm, I'm just talking to you, Joao, right? As as we're interviewing you, I guess like here's what I would ask you: like, where do you think AI is going over the next? I, I would I would normally say like year, but let's just say six months because I mean stuff's happening ridiculously fast. So where do you see the future of this going um, in terms of how companies operate? in their business as a part of their business and, you know, what it's going to do to the, the labor and job force as well. Yeah. I think, um, you're good to make this question with like a six month time frame because, you know, the amount of creativity and the speed of evolution here is just like breakneck speed. Nobody can really say what's going to be happening 12 months from now. I think there is no clear answer to that. You know, I think we are disrupting basically almost everything. And the reality is it's a big double-edged sword. You know, it's unlocking amazing technological advancement in a lot of industries. And it can do a lot of good for the way we treat ourselves through the health sector, the way we approach climate change. I think we'll probably be able to use AI to find much more efficient methods to do carbon capture, which we really need. Um, so how it's going to impact all these industries um, will definitely speed up development of new technology. But also, you know, there are these natural questions on like, how is our labor market going to adapt to all of this? And so that's my fancy macro answer to not <laughs> actually answer the question. <laughs> yeah, I love that, man. You're a good employee. You didn't answer the question at all. You just uh, gave the politically correct example. Would you say that like our technology, I mean, cause this is the way I feel personally. I heard someone say this. I'm like, that's exactly it. Like this is amazing, but dangerous at the same time because our technology is scaling faster than our emotions are. We're accelerating technology at a breakneck speed and our emotions aren't 
able to keep up with it right now from a humanity perspective. Would you agree that that's fair or accurate or inaccurate? I, I think that's super fair. Um, and I can't remember who it was, but I saw this talk where a university teacher was asking his group of students, um, where do you go for news facts? Where do you go for science? Where do you go for entertainment? And then where do you go for wisdom? And when the question was wisdom, like nobody had like a clear answer. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's very true of the world today. Not for everyone, because there's definitely good educational content out there to basically like increase our emotional intelligence, help us understand how humans work, how to uh, deal with our own emotions better, how to connect with other people more effectively. So there is content, but um, I would say it's not super mainstream. And so I think there's, uh, we could definitely have a little bit more wisdom in the world, I would say. And so, you know, just even before AI, just with this rampant use of social media, or how like video games, you know, I've played them for a bunch of years, I'm all for it, but you know, so many people get ultra addicted and then that kind of totally warps their lives. Um, and I think I can say this because I used to be a teenager like that. We don't really know how to put the brakes on things sometimes and keep them within healthy boundaries. Um, and I think that in a way, there's this really lame, like game theory happening with AI. Uh, and this came out on in an article on time where a lot of people working in the industry think that they're not comfortable with the speed of development and the mm -hmm. unintended consequences coming out of this. But they all feel like, well, if I just quit my job, everyone else is still going to be building this thing. So how is that going to do any good? And so everyone continues the arms race. Um, and I think that's why we see things like the six-month open letter pause or, you know, in this same time article, like I'm blanking in the um, at the author's name right now, but it literally suggested that, like, we have to globally coordinate our strategy for the development of AI. And, like, it's such a severe problem if we do not learn how these models work accurately that this person was literally suggesting that we are able to track where GPUs are and we can literally airstrike rogue GPU centers where they are training models that are not regulated. Um, and wow. this sounds super sci-fi, of course. But the thing is, like, we already have these models being connected to the internet. And so their ability to continue to learn, is it cannot be understated. And then if they're online, their ability to actually play with parts of the real world is also there. So if we don't have a way to somehow navigate this arms race, um, there is a, a, an above 0% chance that something not intended is going to happen. And that sounds a little bit scary, but maybe it should. It's the Wild West right now because it's happening so fast and the government acts so slow with this. So what do you think the answer is? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think <laughs> um, ideally we would be able to trust that, you know, the bigger players, because they have more to lose and because they have like a little bit of a say in the industry, would actually 
be able to put in more safeguards. And so actually, this is an area where I'm a little bit more comfortable with like a duopoly or an oligopoly of sorts. Mm -hmm. um, I think open sourcing all these models, like when we saw like some Stanford grads being able to like develop an alternative to ChatGPT for like 600 bucks, like that is crazy. Because if you can suddenly have, let's say, 5,000 variants yes. of the same technology being developed through different methodologies and yes. everything is new, like you, you know, the cat's out of the box, like you can't stop this thing anymore. Um, but maybe if we were to make this just, you know, one or two core players and they are liable and they are aware of their influence, maybe that puts a little bit more of a check and balance uh, dynamic. Um, but it's really hard to implement. So we'll see. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.